0: Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Mike here with Tommy, and the season's over. How do you feel? Relieved. <laughs> I mean, down, near the end there,
1: I was kind of I was kind of over it because one, it was just kind of seeing where are we going to land, and uh, are we going to finish with these these specific odds? And it was just getting very tiring with the Thunder trying their best to put out the absolute worst possible lineup so that uh, they could. I don't know. I I think they thought if they lost by enough, or they put out a significant, like just the worst possible lineup, maybe it would be worth like extra losses. That might have been their strategy. Ultimately, it didn't work. Thank God we uh, we ended up securing that twenty eighth spot. And um, yeah, I'm just happy that it's over. I'm, I'm I'm looking much more forward to the future.
0: Yeah, I'm relieved that the Pistons finished and finished where they did. However, I'm feeling a little bit sad. I didn't expect this because. Regardless of the quality of the basketball and the stress down the stretch, uh, watching the Pistons every other night or every three nights uh, was definitely a big part of my routine. And uh, we also, I, I often mention the, the Pistons Discord server. We have a good group there. Uh, just, it's you know, some nice camaraderie, uh, you know, watching the games every night with the same group of people. So And also it's five weeks to the lottery, five weeks from the day we're recording this, which is a long time. I mean the NBA playoffs will be a bit of a useful distraction from that fact, and I'm looking forward to those. The plans start tonight, but I'm sad that we won't be watching the Pistons for another six months. Yeah, but I'm that nine-month COVID off
1: was absolutely brutal. But any that was season still. Yeah,
0: that that was no, that, that was terrible. just awful. <laughs> and I keep bringing this up, but it's it's funny if you go back and listen to our episodes from during that off season. not yeah, of course the Pistons just had their season completely truncated in the middle of March. And then it was until November before really anything happened. But if you go back and listen to our episodes, we're talking a lot about Christian Wood and his future and how he attacks closeouts and so on and so <laughs> forth about Sekou Demboya and how he's going to look and so on and so forth. And just, everything has changed so severely. We've come a uh, long so tremendously. way. Yeah. We've come a long yeah. way and, and entirely for the better, hundred percent for the better. Oh, absolutely. Uh, don't miss Christian Wood. Don't miss Sekou. <laughs> There's much better things there for the Pistons now. So this is going to be the first episode of our end of series. Excuse me, end of season series. Uh, Planning on doing two or three episodes here and then transitioning to draft previews leading up to the draft lottery. So on the subject of endings, uh, some of you, we've gotten some questions from some of you about uh, where Dante has been. Uh, Dante, are the third was the third member of this team. So Dante had been on hiatus from the show for a couple months and made the decision recently that he would not be returning. Uh, he wanted to us to tell all of you uh, that he, had re- he has recently graduated from law school and accepted a full-time position at a corporate firm. Uh, my commentary here, it's a very good firm. Uh, he told me about it. Uh, it, was, it was a difficult decision, but maintaining his career and continuing to show regularly wasn't doable. And he wanted to offer you guys his sincerest gratitude. Uh, to the listeners, uh, said that being in the show was a wonderful experience. Uh, so I was actually going to—I forgot to do this. I was going to joke that he uh, that he's, he was leaving the podcast because he just couldn't handle it after Trey Lyles was traded. Uh, Dante really <laughs> didn't like Trey Lyles. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. For my part, uh, I just want to thank Dante for for the year he spent with us on the show and uh, for the the you know the memories of the good times that the three of us had.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Huge congratulations to Dante on graduating from law school. He got a job at one of the top uh, firms in his area. He told us about that, and uh, we're very excited for him. You know, it's a it's a huge job, huge deal with uh, some long hours, but we know that he's very passionate about it. And uh, as passionate about as he was about the Pistons, we know that this is something that um, he's worked very, very hard on, and we're very happy for him. Obviously, you know, and truthfully, I've I've been thinking about one of his big takes a lot. I mean, this is something that he's been telling us about all year. And that, and that's that Sadiq Bay has been, he's, he's, he's better than we yeah. thought he was going to be. And I'll definitely concede Dante. You were right. Um, Sadiq Bay has absolutely redefined his ceiling in my opinion. So once again, man, you got me.
0: Yeah. Uh, definitely a good place here for us to just uh, transition into general story in the season. It's just going to be a general reflection on how the season went. Takeaways. Uh, how it went differently from what we predicted, and so on and so forth. So Sadiq Bay definitely one of those. So started in summer league. I think he was there largely just to practice his new play style as a creator. Pulled that into regular season, the first 20 games or so, it was a complete disaster. They basically just handing him the ball at the perimeter and saying, please create offense with it one-on-one. I mean, that's the toughest thing to do in the NBA. So uh, that didn't go well. It actually went extremely poorly, and it discombobulated his entire game and uh, you know on both ends. And around mid to late December, they kind of pushed him more toward a different role, not trying to create an isolation, just focusing on shooting and on creating offense within the arc. And things went well from there. And he saw a particularly big role during the period of the COVID absences and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it just continued to improve throughout the season. I know, Tommy, you and I thought, okay, maybe fourth best guy in a championship team. And who knows? Maybe he's third best guy. I still have my doubts about that. But even 3B on a championship team is a fantastic player. And he made his presence felt every night. Still needs to work on shooting consistency. But uh, the guy, like there was a press conference today with Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey. And they basically said, you you know, we told Sadiq to take some time off. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Dwayne Casey used to coach for the Mavericks, He was uh, assistant coach, excuse me, for the Mavericks, and he was there during the uh, 2011 championship. He actually put out the defensive scheme that helped to slow down LeBron. And he said that it was just like with Dirk Nowitzki, they had to put a, you know, I don't know if this is actually literal, but they had to put a lock on the gym, and he feels like uh, Sadiq is the same way and his just relentless work ethic and desire and intents to improve.
1: Yep. One of two. What is... Like one of five guys who started every game. I think one of two guys no, two guys started every one game. One of five. Yeah, one of five who played in every game. One of f- uh two who started every game and that's I mean, especially in COVID year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's insane. And um yeah, Sadiq Bey is an absolute workhorse. And yeah, going back to you know, what we think his ceiling is or his reasonable role is, I'm I'm there on calling him a number three option. Um, I think he has that type of potential. Again with the you mentioned the consistency that has to be there for all these uh, great moments that he has. He still has some nights where he's not shooting the ball particularly well, but he's still a very good player, and guys will still respect him. And I think one of the most fun developments this season has been Sadiq Bay adding that driving game, where he's using his strength, putting his shoulder into guys, and they just they bounce right off of him. You know, he guy is such a strong uh, physical player, and it's he's getting to the to the basket on these drives, and it's it's been one of the best developments of the season. I've I've absolutely loved that. Um. So, yeah, Sadiq Bey, I mean, we have a good piece there. I think he's one of two surefire core pieces that we have. And, yeah, definitely. And uh, very, very happy with the the value that we got there on that pick.
0: 100%. Also a great culture guy by all accounts. Absolutely. He's very well liked in the locker room, but sets an example. And, he, you know, he's... The kind of player everybody wants also perfectly fits that Detroit ethos of gritty and hardworking and plays 100% for the team and and never takes even a moment off on the court. So i uh, got to love it, definitely. Uh, you know, Like I said, I still have my doubts that he's the number three guy in a championship team, but uh, I'm willing to certainly allow that I might be proved wrong. We'll see what he adds in the offseason. But, I mean, what I'm really looking for is, like I've said in the past, motion shooting. I think that Sadiq is always going to be a guy who's a shooter who can do some creation rather than a creator who does some shooting, and that's fine. You have a guy who can consistently hit threes, and he hits difficult threes on volume. He has that uh, that nice little sidestep move, uh, and he can get that shot off. He can get a shot off with guys, you know, with guys right in his face. He uh, he's just really perfected this motion in which he catches the ball, he brings it across his body, and then he shoots very quickly. And for most guys, bringing it across your body is a big no-no. I mean, guys, that can be very disruptive to somebody's shot. And shooting coaches will often try to remove that from your shot because it's just bad for the technique. But Sadiq makes it work very well. And I think the next frontier for him as a shooter is coming around screens and being able to shoot right away. Uh, So, And from creating in the interior, yeah, he's been very good at it. He's just, he's good at parlaying the assets that he has, which is really his strength is one of those. The guy's built like a tank and uh, he's developed some interesting and intriguing touch as well around the basket. It's just a paradigm shift from the mess he was early in the season. And I, I blame that chiefly on the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, but I'm very happy with the progress that he's shown. I mean, the work ethic, it truly shows uh, throughout the course of the season. You know, I think, I mean, I'm not going to say he's an MIP candidate, but maybe on the Pistons he is. I mean, he's, the, the transformation, it might have been subtle in some ways, but the body of work and the the results are certainly there. So very, very happy with the way Sadiq Bey has progressed in year two. I think he's uh, another cornerstone piece moving forward.
0: Yeah, so that's great. I mean, just going back to, to, you know, if we can step back a little bit and just go to overall season storylines. So going into the season, what were your expectations? I know you wanted a tank season, but how did you think it was going to look?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I wanted a tank season. I mean, the, the situation, if we still want to think about it, like the Pistons ultimately still need talent. I mean, the we've seen these pictures circulating on Twitter of Cade getting mobbed by five guys and everybody's <laughs> like spaced out like six to 10 to 20 feet around him. But I thought that the team had a chance to be fairly good. I thought, I think at one point I even said that this team might win 40 games. And obviously that didn't come true. But um, down the stretch there, I think we we saw. Just how good they can look, and uh, I think that 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 forty game type team, that forty win type team, is a lot closer than we think. And yeah, I mean, once it kind of became apparent that the team wasn't really ready, that there were some issues with efficiency, some issues with shot selection, athleticism, you know, once we got to that point and was like, okay, we definitely still need more talent. At that point, I was kind of like, yeah, let's just uh, dial it back. We're not going to make the playoffs. We're not going to make the play-in. Let's just see um, about focusing on development at the expense of wins and secure uh, high odds again. And I was happy to see that down the stretch, they ultimately decided to do that. But at the same time, it was disappointing. You know, I think that it's, it's become abundantly clear that losing games or winning games has become very important in the rookie of the year race. And while I've kind of cooled off on caring about that a little bit, just because you know even the people who are voting for rookie of the year and not necessarily not necessarily voting cade they mm-hmm. all kind of agree that cade is the best rookie we got our guy yes um yeah so that was probably the bigger disappointment to me just how they kind of came out looking rough but um ultimately i think it's i would say that it's worked out for the best and maybe we get lucky in the draft lottery again this year i mean i feel again good. the team needs talent yeah yeah i think there's a lot of, i'll make this claim right now i think there's a lot of good feelings towards Jabari Smith Jr. to the Pistons. You Last year, you predicted uh, the Pistons would get the number one pick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be bold right now, and I'm going to say that the Pistons end up with Jabari. I don't know what pick it will be at, but I'm going to say that the Pistons end up with Jabari. But, hmm, hmm. yeah, just getting back to the question, that was probably the biggest thing for me. I thought that the team would come out looking better, and they definitely struggled yeah. early on. That 14-game losing streak was really rough for them. We got to hear <laughs> a little bit about that in some of these interviews. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, on, on the subject of talent, one of the things that Troy said today was just that the team, the, the goal is just to continue to grow talent. I mean, the Pistons aren't anywhere close in terms of the talent that they have on the team. And I think there's, Weaver seems, I would have no doubt that Weaver is perfectly aware of that. The Pistons made a gigantic first step by getting number one last season and getting Cade. I mean, I, I cannot reiterate and stress enough just how fortunate the Pistons were to get number one in that stacked draft, absolutely stacked draft. Uh, which, you know, if Jalen Green and Evan Mobley and Cade Cunningham were in different drafts, they could all have been a number one overall pick. And then you have the Absolutely. guys behind them. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, in Scotty this draft, Barnes they the all probably good. go number one. Oh, I don't think that's probably about it. I think that's 100% certainty. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the Pistons were very fortunate in that respect. So uh, how I thought the season would go, I was just looking forward to saying, okay, well, the Pistons are going to come out with a, a decent-ish roster. And we'll just, they're just going to see where it goes. And, you know, who knows where it will go, but I'm just going to sit back and whatever happens, happens, and I'll be okay with it. Uh, did not go as planned. <laughs> I don't think they <laughs> expected to be anywhere near this bad. Uh, goodness. Cade came out very slow after his injury. He missed, I think, all, all of, much of training camp, all of preseason, and, and it just took him a while to get going. Uh, Killian, of course, had to, a very difficult season. He made some progress near the end, but, man, was he horrible. Uh, Sadiq, as we said, started out very slow. He lost Kelly Olinick early. Uh, Grant really wasn't that great, and then he got injured. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, one of the questions with we had, Killian's
1: progress. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean he's he's made steps. I mean I, I think he's yeah. still got a long way to go. But
1: do you remember uh, at the beginning of the season my uh, my idea that we all we all kind of poo pooed.
0: No. Yeah. Both of you. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Your idea of uh, maybe bringing Kate off the bench or at the very least, playing him next to another hand, or I think off the bench would have been gratuitous. He did end up playing next to another hand or the whole year. We had James Edwards in the show here. He said that uh, that was primarily just to keep from exhausting Kate in his rookie season. Like uh, Kate yeah. yesterday in his exit interview said that's, you know, this it's difficult to prepare for your 82 games. The first you know, first, season of 82 games it's a lot of games one thing he said was that he's gonna eat a lot of calories put on some strength i really work hard on conditioning just so he can you can keep going uh you know throughout that and, and stay at peak performance throughout that whole series so throughout the whole season also i would i would imagine during games themselves because he slowed down usually throughout the course of a game with the giant workload he had but yeah we ended up with Corey yeah. joseph next to him for most of the season right out that irritated us at times and it made sense. (laughs) Yeah. The
1: other part of that was bringing Killian Hayes off the bench. And I think for sure that seems to have worked out. I I, I think we can all agree at this point that Killian is much more effective and useful to this team off the bench with the ball in his hands. And uh, I'm especially excited to see how that goes next year, assuming that he stays on the roster and stays in that role. I think think that was starting to work really well for him.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's like I've said before, it's a lot easier it's a lot more difficult to put it this way to see when a player is not playing super well on a bad team. It's a lot easier on a good team when they're playing in in a city, you know with with a team that's winning, and you're able to see how they fit into a winning system and how they're playing compared to to, to winning players. Because if you put Killian on a good team, I mean he wouldn't be in the rotation. You'd be able to see his his struggles. But I, I agree he made progress. So back to what I was saying though. Uh, yeah, you. So Killian plays poorly. You lose winnick and you lose Grant for a, a protracted period. Um, you know, at, at, at one point, eventually during the season, Diallo kind of came online, and he was a lot of fun to watch. And he has his issues. His only issue really is not being is just not being a shooter. Uh, again, something that would be very prominently noticeable on a good team, but wasn't a big deal in this team. But uh, you know, I got really upset. With Casey at many points early in the season, and then it became apparent to me that the season was lost. And then I started being perfectly okay with his relatively poor in-game coaching. <laughs> and we can both credit him. We both have credited him, I credited him. It just it comes out again and again that the players really like the guy and they really think highly of him. And he did a good job holding together a locker room for the second straight year for a team that was constantly losing, which is not an easy situation. Yes.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to make a point to bring up Casey and give him credit. Like X's and O's aside, uh definitely one of the things and this is definitely hand in hand with the job that Weaver has done, but those two together brought in guys who would buy in and you know, the culture of this team, like people we've we've talked about it at points as well. Like it's not anything that uh is groundbreaking, but it's it was an admirable job to keep these guys focused on working hard and continuing to buy in over the course of 82 games. I mean, this is a long season. At, and during Cade's exit interview, he talked about how he was in a really uh, tough place after during that 14-game losing streak. You know, these guys, they're, they've always been the best uh, throughout their lives. And, you know, for him, he had high expectations. He went on to the J.J. Redick podcast at the start of the season. He's like, no, we're going to make the playoffs. And uh, Cade said in his exit interview, he's like, yeah. Didn't uh, realize
0: how hard it Casey, is.
1: Right. Casey definitely, you know, reminded us of how hard it is to win in the NBA. And he made us aware of that. And, you know, I ultimately, in that, I was thinking about this, um, the Pistons, once the season was lost, I, I did want them to focus on uh, development, but also preserving their lottery position. But I am really glad that they showed a lot of strength uh, post all-star break. You know, I think that the team really, really benefited from that that, that losing streak and the other ones that were in that season. Uh, the blowouts, they must have been really, really tough. And for them oh, yeah. to have had to endure that for a whole season, I think that, you know, that could have potentially derailed a lot of the the good feelings. Uh, they talked about how the team was, you know, much more receptive to uh, not maybe not receptive, but much more positive. Like their film sessions were a lot more positive. And I think they have really good momentum going into next year. So maybe some of the predictions that we had for the beginning of this season uh, will apply next year. Maybe next year we are a 40 win team, depending on how things go. Maybe the yeah. team, does have playoff aspirations, you know, that sort of thing. But definitely I want to credit Casey uh, for the job that he did cultivating yeah, the locker definitely. room. Yeah. And yeah, Weaver as well.
0: Yeah. Weaver brought in, like you said, he brought in the right guys. He really selects for character, which is something I feel hundred percent in favor of. I think that's a great policy. Uh, even though at the draft I kind of felt like maybe you're focusing a little bit too much on character at the expense of athleticism, but as Weaver really hasn't paid much attention to athleticism and I'm, very confident. He understands the value of it, but you know, you're early on in a rebuild. You want to get the right guys in there. We've talked about Isaiah livers. Even he is, he's a great culture guy and he's impressed us. We talked about that last episode, definitely. Uh, but uh, yeah, looking back in some other storylines, there was, I I know one for us. And also this was just a hot button topic in general with Saban Lee versus Corey Joseph. Like, why are you giving this spot to the veteran rather than to the young guy who could use time in the NBA for development? I think certainly it's been stressed by by Dwayne Casey it's been stressed by Trey Weaver the value of just having veterans on the roster for a stabilizing presence uh, but also Corey Joseph was so immeasurably better than Sabin Lee in the NBA I think and this is a topic that I love to talk about not not Corey Joseph uh, though <laughs> I think he's cool dude uh, just how good NBA players are at basketball I mean these guys are like the worst guy in the NBA who manages to, to to stay in the league for a lengthy career is a sublimely good basketball player. I mean, these guys are incredibly good. Like if you make it to the NBA for 10 games, I mean, you're an amazing player by the by the standards of the general population. I mean, G League players would go into, I mean, these guys would stomp all over the vast majority of basketball players in the world, even, even guys overseas. I mean, the G League is that good and the NBA is a step above it. So Corey Joseph's an NBA player. I mean, he's a slightly below average backup, and he started on this team. Uh, but he, you know, he was steady enough. Uh, he was a steadying presence in the starting lineup. He took some of the ball handling onus off of Katie. shot well, and uh, you know, I was I was happy with him. I, I know he's he's a much pilloried player, uh, but he was good for what was needed. And Saban we made no progress, uh, you yeah. know, from from last season.
1: Right. I don't want to rehash the, uh, the Corey Joseph versus Saban Lee thing we, I, I, from the beginning, I I was like, you know, it's, it's a very different game, the G league game to the NBA game, because at the start of the season, Saban was putting up these massive numbers in the G
0: league and he he finished second in MVP voting, the G league. (laughs) Oh, did he? I did not know that. But but, uh, uh, only a couple of G league MVPs have uh, over the last like six or seven seasons have actually come into the NBA and stayed. Chris Boucher is one of them. And he has, aside from his for a season, I mean, he was not good this season. The, the leap is enormous. I mean, right. the, the guys who are going to make it in the NBA often are just the guys who don't even need to go to the G League first. Right. Yeah,
1: definitely. Very, very happy that Corey Joseph was on this team. I definitely agree that he was a stabilizing presence, but I, I was listening to Cade's exit interview and he shared a story about another one of the, the veterans maybe who's a little bit underappreciated and that was Kelly Olenek. And mm-hmm. it's not even just about his play, which was fine. I don't think anybody was had super high expectations for Kelly Olenek on the court, but behind the scenes, Cade was giving uh, Kelly Olenek credit. He was saying, you know, Kelly really em- empowered me to be a leader and be a vocal guy. You know, that's, that's admirable. Like, that's exactly what you want in the locker room. Everybody wants Cade to be the leader of this team. And when you have veterans on the floor, these guys are putting their egos aside. Uh, it's not easy for them to be on, you know, young teams where they are clearly not the priority and not only are they taking a no, stride, they're actually encouraging these young guys to. It helps when you're being paid to be better.
0: Yeah, it helps when you're being It helps when you being paid thirteen million dollars. I think that can really soothe that particular hurt <laughs> for Kelly. Yeah, but I mean, still, <laughs> nonetheless, I, they, they, he knew yeah. what he was getting into.
1: Sure, but I mean, he still he came from Miami. That's a very good uh, program, and no, he was you with know, Houston. I, I very much. He was oh, at right. the end of last season. Yeah. Yeah. Putting up yeah. big stuff. I still think of a, him as Celtics in uh, Miami. I, I did yeah. forget about that. And, but he played very well in Houston. I'm sure uh, on the tail end of his Houston tenure. The point is like, it's, it's, I very much appreciate what Kelly Olynyk did and what the veterans did for this team. Uh, even Rodney McGruder, like when he came back, I guess all the guys were like really happy to have him back. There are good veteran presence presences on this team. And I appreciate that very much. You know, there's no guys coming out here saying, you know, I I'm, tenured. I deserve more. I deserve more touches, more minutes. Uh, they are very much for the team. And that's something, again, Casey uh, definitely mentioned that he wanted to uh, perpetuate that type of mentality, you know, buy in, do what's best for the team. And I think that yeah. the guys that Troy Weaver brought in very much did so.
0: Yeah. Uh, Slight A side, uh, Tommy and I had the, the opportunity recently to, to speak with somebody who had worked within the Miami Heat organization for a few seasons. And, uh, you know, we asked who their favorite player was uh, in terms of personality, and the answer was Rodney Magruder, like unequivocally so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was completely unsurprising based on everything we've heard about him. Uh, he, the, the way it was put before the season uh, was just that he was very popular in the locker room. And, you know, he came in and, and gave some decent minutes. Like, we'll put it this way. So, Tommy, you remember back when uh, in free agency in 2020, When we were just like, oh, man, why are they bringing in veterans? You know, just field all young guys so they can develop as as much as possible and be the worst team you possibly can. I think, I mean, I think we admitted, we've long since admitted that we were wrong about that and that uh, Troy Weaver has definitely shown us the the benefit of having veterans on the roster. Uh, He was also just very, uh, very agile in how he handled last season, Uh, you know, getting rid of the veterans and positioning the Pistons to get a high pick while also, uh, you know, seeing some good development from the youth. So, yeah, the veterans, I agree, are valuable. He's brought in the right veterans. Everybody loves Corey Joseph. Seems like everybody has always loved Corey Joseph. You see how things are between any time he after the game. You see him with his old teammates. I mean, they're always, you know, it's always all smiles and laughs. And uh, you've just always heard good things about Jeremy Grant, who's there for different reasons. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a roster that was put together well for you know, in terms of culture for what the Pistons needed in the second season, which was really going to be all about development for a team that still doesn't have a ton of talent on it. So definitely kudos to Weaver, kudos to Casey. And, uh, that was cool. Uh, absolutely. And, yeah. And Saban Lee it's worth remembering that he was second round pick and uh, guys in the forties, I think have something on the order of like a one third chance of, or less than that. I believe I, I that's seen a graph on it. Basically, second round picks they have a 25% shot of having like an actual career in the NBA, and a lot of those guys are guys taken in the 30s. Like guys in the 50s have like a 10% chance. So guys, uh yeah. So basically, if he doesn't work out, I mean, it shouldn't be unexpected. And he really didn't make much progress at all. The guy still can't shoot. In the G League, he can just burn people and. NBA defense is just punished much better. And they punish him mercilessly for not being able to shoot. Yeah.
1: I, is there anything that more that you wanted to say on Weaver and Casey? Cause actually that you just reminded me of a really interesting quote from, uh, from another video I watched uh, that Cade had done. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So that was Mike Schmidt's, um He does these film sessions with prospects and he did that with Cade prior to the draft. And then he did another one just a week or two ago and I was watching this video. It's fantastic content. Mike Schmitz is one of my favorite uh, draft guys, and I was really happy that they did another session. And one of the things that Cade said in that video was that um, this was the first time in his career where his length really played a big part of his in, in his scoring. He said that you know the transition from college to the NBA uh, was very difficult because he was learning to play more uh, within – the very limited space that the NBA affords. And I thought that was just really interesting because like looking at the game, you know, between uh, college film and NBA film, you don't really see that very much. You don't see it a ton, except for maybe on drives uh, where Cade was finishing with like these crazy long, you know, sweeping hooks and sweeping layups. But otherwise, you know, I I thought it was very interesting. It just, once again, it, it highlights just how different these leagues are and uh, how that learning curve is very steep. I mean, Oh, I'm thinking back yeah. to, you know, his welcome to the league moment where Anthony Davis blocked him on I think it was a one or two three point shots, and you know the, the the progress that Cade made over the season once again just phenomenal, and uh, I mean I don't think that we I, I'm not going to say that we don't talk about it enough, but it, what a, what a fantastic season honestly I think that overall you know for a 22 or 23 win team. You know, things went very, very well. You know, we accomplished a lot this season. And, uh, you know, for a team that wasn't going to win anything significant, I think we we made more progress maybe with the path that we took as opposed to a team that maybe won more games on the backs of maybe more veteran help if they had brought it in. You know, I'm very happy with the way that things went. I'm very happy with the rotations that consisted mostly of young guys interspersed with, you know, stabilizing veteran presences. I think that they went about this season very, very well considering it uh, didn't look like they were going to, you know, win anything or make any play-in
0: games. And now a quick word from our sponsor. The NBA playoffs mean next-level basketball. Get ready for all the action by betting on the play-in tournament with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You a win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, for each day of the play-in, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the play-in tournament, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Back to just general season takeaways and storylines. So at the at the beginning of the season, we talked about how it was going to be one of Jer, excuse me, one of Josh Jackson or Hamadou Diallo who was going to make it. Uh, we all know how that went. Uh, Josh Jackson, <laughs> yeah, got his chance. He was awful, uh, and then Hamadou, after an unfortunate blow up at Dwayne Casey, came into the rotation and you know did a pretty good job. And was very exciting to watch. So Josh Jackson, I'll read right, is the kind of guy you take a chance on, and uh, as a rebuilding team and free agency, that was one hundred percent worthy project. It didn't work out. He might be on his way out of the NBA. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, what, what did you think about Diola? I mean, he was fun. Yeah, to watch, no, definitely.
1: For sure. I mean, I, I'm definitely a guy who I like certain archetypes and especially for guards and forwards. I like guys who can shoot the three ball and that's very, that's certainly very important to me. And Hamadou is not a guy who does that very well currently, but Hamadou definitely impressed me this season, you know, despite the fact that he's not able to shoot from distance very well, he was, his presence was very much felt on the floor. He was an injection of athleticism that the team desperately needs and needed, especially at that time. And he found a way to become an impact player. You know, he was just active on the floor, uh, attacking the basket and finishing plays. And that's ultimately still what the Pistons need. now at the same time, I I still think that uh, the NBA meta is, you know, the five out, you know, everybody can shoot a three and, you know, go in for rebounds. But Hamadou, he found a way to play very valuable minutes uh, despite that. And I think that, you know, looking ahead to next season, he's definitely a guy who would, I would like to see get rotation minutes uh, in some capacity because he's just so much fun to play and to watch play like his power jams. I mean, he's he's probably a top 10 athlete in the NBA. Yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah. And it's not that you can't have too many of those guys. I mean, you, you still need guys who can shoot. But oh, he's got to be able to yeah. shoot if he's going to stand. He's rotation, still if yeah. he's yeah if he's gonna if he's ever gonna become a starter and a very good starter at that, uh, it's like you said all year. He's got to be a guy who, who can get even to a that bench 37. Player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got to be somebody who can get into those mid to high thirties. And if he ever does that, watch out NBA because yeah, God, that's a, that's the only thing holding him back right now. So. I hope he puts in that work in the offseason. Clearly, he's a very talented player, and I'm very happy that he uh, he managed to establish himself in the rotation. I'm glad they didn't try to offload him after that little incident early on. Uh, he definitely he was right. He did he did deserve playing time, and maybe that's not the best way to go about getting it. Yeah, definitely but not. I'm very happy that ultimately he got it and uh, he was able to contribute this season. That was a very nice surprise on my end, at least.
0: Yeah, so uh, I love Hamadou. Yeah, I think he's a he's starting shooting. <laughs> the future if he can get his if he can get his three-point percentage up if he doesn't get his three-point percentage up i doubt he'll be on the team at, you know a couple years down the line because on a good team you just can't have rotation players who can't shoot pretty much excuse me uh, uh, perimeter rotation players who can't shoot i mean they'll, they'll just get punished mercilessly particularly in the postseason hamadou is a great athlete he's the best pure driver on the team i would say even better than cade he's just very good at getting there he's incredibly quick he's a great leaper he's really strong and Casey said that this season, they're basically just putting together a, a shooting book for everybody. I'm sure his will be very extensive and hopefully he's one of the guys who sticks around in Detroit. So it was, it was good to see him in the rotation. Uh, you just, you love seeing the dunks. I mean, he's so exciting to watch. I mean, this is just pure, you know, uh, you know, just purely on the, on the level of, in, of, of enjoying him, watching him play. It doesn't say anything about his effectiveness, but he just found ways to be effective when no plays are being run for him. Uh, He was great at generating steals, and he did so without overly gambling. And, yeah, he's a guy who can stick to really athletic players on defense, too. And he's a vertical spacing threat. Dwayne Casey doesn't really like calling lob plays. I think he only called one for Hamadou, in which he came very close to throwing down a one-handed above-the-rim slam. But, yeah, he's he's, he's good for that, too. And you just hope he works out. And so Josh Jackson, like... Hard worker, I mean, you want to talk to a guy he can't shoot either. He's he's not really super great at driving to the basket. Uh, well, that's the show name, yay. Um, but he's not great at scoring there either. So I wish him well, but I don't think he's likely to. Maybe an end of rotation for a not so good team. And uh, there was Trey Lyles also who played pretty well. I'm pretty sure I'm quite confident he was brought in just to trade him, and they did trade him. He and Josh Jackson a couple seconds, including the. Last vestige of the former franchise player who was traded for a second round pick. That was one of the picks uh, for Marvin Bagley. So Bagley, very well liked by Weaver and Casey, particularly Weaver, quite confident he'll be on the team next season. We've talked about him quite a bit, but what do you think he brought to the team just by a mere dint of being on the roster? Yeah, you know, one of
1: the things that we talked about prior to Bagley's arrival was the lack of vertical space, and you just mentioned it. Uh, Essentially being a guy who puts pressure on the rim as a lob threat, we desperately needed it. We didn't have anybody who could really go up there and get it other than Hamadou. But like you said, he wasn't getting those plays run for him. So when Bagley joined the team, it just added another dimension to the offense. And I I was excited about it because it's at the very least, it's a lot of fun. But we definitely got to see what it's like when Cade has a guy he can just target and get the ball up there. I mean, those guys were starting to really develop chemistry down the stretch. Uh, There were some quick lobs like, you know, blink and you'll miss it. And uh, Bagley kept his head on a swivel and he was able to throw down a lot of these plays. So definitely very important for the team to have guys like that who can go up there and get it and just put it down. It's obviously a very high percentage shot and, uh, I was very happy that they ultimately traded for Bagley. I thought it was going to be Bagley or Mitchell Robinson, just based on the rumors. And I'm um, happy that it was Bagley, and I'm happy for, with the price that we paid. You know, we think back to a season ago, the Kings tried to trade Bagley to us for Sadiq Bay.
0: Uh-huh. I'm glad that. Uh, yeah, I'm that glad that the
1: Pistons held strong. Laugh, laughed at them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, another, it was just another good move by Troy Weaver. And yeah, I I mean, initially I was excited for the potential chemistry with Marvin Bagley and Killian Hayes. And while I still think there is potential for those two guys to, you know, get a lot of overlap next season, uh, in the meantime, it was very good for the offense and just for the viewing experience to bring Marvin Bagley on and uh, see what it's like to have a lob threat there in the paint.
0: Yeah, it was was definitely a good trade. I agree. At, At the very least, you take a, you know, at the very worst, you take a flyer on a potentially good player. Maybe he'll work out. Maybe he won't for basically the cost of just a couple of second round picks, one of which is going to almost certainly be in the fifties. So that was a cool trade. I agree. Basically just merely thanks to his ability to play above the rim. I mean, that was just such a help to Cade who really relies on the high pick and roll. And you want to give him as many options as you possibly can and not having a vertical spacer, that's another thing Troy Weaver said today was that he screwed that up and didn't put enough athleticism in the front court, and it was noticeable. Like basically no team in the NBA had that problem, aside maybe the right. Thunder when they were starting Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Basically everybody else was able to was able to play above the rim to some degree. I think that it definitely called attention to Isaiah Stewart's deficiencies, his lack of uh, verticality, uh, just how hard it is to get him the ball in the pick and roll, and he's not a lob threat. Uh, and so on and so forth, just what he doesn't provide. So it was definitely good for Kate. I should mention that Bagley isn't special in that respect. There are plenty of guys who can play above the rim, so you could definitely replace him with another guy who can play above the rim and do more stuff. The hope is that he improves uh, as a defender or as a shooter. Got to shoot to play power forward. Uh, Got to improve as a defender to play center. I really question if he has the defensive acumen to do it, but uh, he'll have a chance. But that was definitely a good thing for Cade, without a doubt, and uh, you know, good trade. And who knows Absolutely. if Weaver, had, yeah, if Weaver had brought in a vertical space early in the season, maybe the Pistons wouldn't have third-best draft odds. So not the worst thing in the world. So yeah, definitely. Cool.
1: And you mentioned Isaiah Stewart. I think that uh, you know he's the other part of this. He's the other big on the team. And yeah, you, you, we've already mentioned that. Clearly, he wasn't a very good uh, vertical or, yeah, a vertical spacer or a very good lob threat. But he still man. found ways to be effective. Uh, the, yeah. the highway screens was a really cool development uh, once that was pointed out. And he, he still did what he did. Uh, last year, you know, you, you could see the energy, and you could see just the way that he was getting in guys under guys' skin and just work, outworking everybody. And that was great this season. But when his role expanded, I mean, this is one of the things that maybe was a little bit of a disappointment on the season. I think back to the start of the season, you know, those first 10 games were like, okay, Isaiah Stewart, this is your chance. You're going to be the starter. Uh, let's see how you do. And then it just became abundantly clear that him and Cade are probably not a good long-term duo, uh, just because Isaiah doesn't do enough for uh, Cade in terms of being an option or a, a guy who can finish plays. So that was disappointing, but I still think Isaiah's presence on the team is extremely valuable. Uh, he's oh, another great guy coach, who's sir. helping set the culture. Yeah. Yep and i think that he'd be very valuable off the bench uh as just a guy who can finish plays in the low post and i think that just having him on the team alone is 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 more than uh he's more than deserving of a roster spot obviously so you know maybe that's a disappointment on some level that he wasn't he doesn't appear to be a starting caliber 5 but you know he's still high value and we all still love him so I still think that he we got to we got to figure out more about what he is and what he can contribute. And even if it's not exactly what we envisioned at the start of the season, I'm still very happy with his potential contribution and what he does for the Pistons. I think that, you know, we we've talked about this a few times now like your potential bench. I think the Pistons already have uh, their 8 or 9 man rotation in terms of the bench if they oh, want to you know killian looks like a good backup yeah oh for next isaiah season I mean, looks like a good backup
0: yeah i don't think uh, uh, you know i don't think anybody beyond stewart at this point has established himself as a good bench player on a good team
1: yeah that's that's probably yeah i i can agree with that uh, i i'm i'm high on killian and i'm high on bagley i think those guys i think all three of those guys could work together especially if isaiah stewart continues to knock down the three which on the yeah. tail end of the season He's been very, very good. That was he's it's not an right. out of nowhere thing. We knew that he had that potential, but he looks it looks different, and it looks he's, like it could translate into next yeah. year.
0: He's got he's got to be able to shoot in order to be an effective offensive player. We've, we've said it many times because down low he's just a paint clogger for the most part. Uh, he's not a very good scorer in, in the restricted area. Even it's tough to be a center who's undersized and scores below the rim. That's not easy. I mean that is that's a tough job. Yeah, but it's easier right. off the bench. It's easier off the bench, definitely. Uh, you know, when it comes again, we we can talk about you know the the future bench rotation at some point. I think, like I said, I think Killian's got a long way to go. Bagley's got to do some work. I, I agree. You can have a decent big rotation with the two of them if Stewart can shoot. Bagley will run the pick and roll, and Stewart will be just the spacer on offense. That looks Stewart, plausible. Yeah, and, and Stewart can be the 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 guy who protects the interior because I I think that Bagley's got a drastically better shot of being a decent perimeter defender. I mean. It, it was something else how poor he was at making the right reads, uh, you know, as as the guy defending the interior when Stewart was out. So, but Stewart, like you said, great culture guy, super hard worker. Uh, him going after LeBron was one of the highlights of the season, I would say. Uh, and man, I forgot about that. That was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, yeah uh, and he it,
1: established it's... himself as like a guy that nobody wants to mess with. So <laughs> yeah. that's cool.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, long-term bench guy, I would agree. My only concern would be, you know, he goes, your starting center, the future goes down, you got to bring Isaiah in and that's a big step backward on offense. If Cade doesn't have a good role man with him, it's like you said, he he doesn't function well with Cade. Who just needs a more dynamic player who's able to play more effectively in the pick and roll. Isaiah is not good on the pick and roll. Aside from the screens he can set, but that's not enough. Okay. So uh, a final guy I think we should talk about is Jeremy Grant. Started the season slow. He uh, was doing some irritating things, just too many of those awful mid-range pull-ups and and just playing a very black hole style of play. At, after the All-Star break, uh, the, Troy Weaver said he talked with him, asked, asked, or maybe it was Casey, asked him to play a more efficient game, and uh, he did. He was He was moving the ball around a lot better. I don't think he'll be great at it ever, but he was moving the ball around a lot better off the drive. He wasn't taking as many bad shots. He was also just shooting better. But you saw he and Bay and, and Cade play pretty well together. Now, are they a big three on the championship team? I'd say no. You need a much better number two than Grant. Yeah. But, uh, you know, kudos to him for making that improvement. And now, had he not been asked to play that way before, who knows? But kudos to him nonetheless.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I was going to, if you hadn't done it, I was going to bring it up. Uh, I'm happy that Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey acknowledged the fact that he was not playing a very good, uh, inefficient game and they addressed it and he made changes. You know, this was definitely something that we got a chance to talk about during the season. You know, the, the mid range pull-ups, they drove us crazy. And uh, he was starting to cut those out a little bit, taking a lot more threes, taking and making most importantly, a lot more threes, which yeah, going hard to very the basket much appreciate. Too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That was something that he did. Uh, not, I mean, I don't know if we can call it last season now, but oh, yeah. uh, in his first season with the Pistons, like he would attack the rim hard and he was like, putting his body on the line. He was taking punishment and he got the crap you know, to start, out of start this season. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he didn't do that as much. And we, it was kind of a head scratcher because it was one of the things that made Grant. So I don't know, dynamic, uh, it made him such a weapon. You know, he was going in there and he was not afraid to mix it up and it was something that we very much appreciated about him. So I'm really happy that he started to look like a little bit more like that first
0: season with the Pistons, Jeremy Grant. I'll ask you this now. Do you think they trade him? I'd say it depends on the draft. It also depends on the offers they get. Uh, Troy Weaver yeah. said today in his press conference that they just didn't get very many. They didn't really get good offers for Jeremy. Right. And he said, I was surprised he was this open. He said, we'll, we'll look forward and see what happens. I mean, I'm sure Jeremy was perfectly aware that even when he came to the Pistons, that he might end up getting traded. So right, it, it'll it depend on how the draft goes, I would imagine. Yeah, I'll just start repeating myself. Depending on how the, on how the draft goes, depend on uh, Chief above all. Uh, which offers you get. Like there was talk about Portland trading uh, the Pelicans pick. The Pelicans pick is most likely to fall at number 11, I think, or is it number 12? I think number 12. So if they don't make the playoffs, so that's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to
1: these off season offers, you know, there was some disappointment uh, among Pistons fans and us that Jeremy didn't get traded. We thought that, you know, his value might be high, but it was, a suspicion of ours that maybe he the offers just weren't that good, and Troy Weaver kind of said that what we said back then, which is that you know after the playoffs there are a lot of teams that are like, oh maybe if we just bring this guy on, maybe we'll look better. But I think the Portland offer, um, maybe that's one of the better ones out there. But there was you know this is a little bit of news from a few weeks ago. There was indications from Shams that there is a decent amount of interest in Grant, and that. Uh, maybe we have a little bit of a, not maybe not a bidding war, but there is enough competition to drive up the price a little bit, which is always good for us. You know, I think Grant's, I, I still think that theoretically he could contribute to this team and when they are looking to compete, but the timeline is, it's iffy because he
0: is, what is he turning 28 or 29 uh, uh, here soon? Be, yeah, I think, he, well, he just turns 28. Did he? So yeah, if the Pistons. is oh, right, yeah. Yeah, if the Pistons are planning, you know, for next season, hopefully make the plans. The season after that, make the playoffs straight away, and then the next season after that, really start to contend. I mean, Jeremy's going to be thirty-one, and that's not old, but the it's really right on
1: the tail end of your prime.
0: Yeah, most NBA players go into decline in their thirties, in the early thirties. So you still have him on the team, but once you're really ready to contend, maybe he's your fourth best starter. Not the worst thing in the world. But right, the question right. is, what can he get in exchange? But what are you losing yeah. in terms of his presence on the team in general, even off the court? Yeah. Ultimately, if I
1: had to guess, I don't think that Jeremy Grant is going to play another game with the Pistons. Uh, I am, if he does get traded, I am intrigued by the potential return there, especially if it's centered around draft picks. I've already started to look into some of the guys in the late teens. There are some interesting names there. Once again, this is not the 2020 NBA draft. It's just, or yeah, the 2021 NBA draft. It's not that talented, uh, it's it's worth reiterating just one last time that draft class was phenomenal you like yeah. I know maybe this might have been some people's first uh, real interest that might have been some people's first real interest in tanking and like what can we do in terms of building and in the draft um, too because the Pistons hadn't had this kind of high pick and exactly but you know <laughs> even long? further down it was it was there is depth all historical. over the place in that draft yeah. so I don't think that that's going to be this upcoming one I, I just want to be upfront about that, I guess, but, uh, there's still some interesting names there. So if Grant does ultimately get traded and we get another pick in the teens, there are some interesting names and, uh, oh, yeah, I don't think it am still be looking the, forward to that.
0: I don't think the teens is going to be high enough to trade for Grant. I think, uh, I think if Portland drops a couple spots in the lottery, they're number six. I think if they drop to number seven, they drop to number eight. If they jump, there's no way they're trading that pick. I would say no, but if, if they drop the number seven or eight, I wouldn't put it past them to say, well, we're trying to win now. That's the big thing. That's what they did this off season was to to build around Simon. It's just to create space for Willard and have a team that's that's Willard and Simons in the backcourt. And I think that that Grants could be worth more to them than that pick. I don't think they get both. It. Yeah, I don't think they get both picks that Portland has. That would be quite a coup. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so was not getting any younger. Yeah, I don't think this was a, a well advised rebuild by the, the Blazers, who still just have a, a two man rotation. That's you know who rather have all of their hopes loaded into two guards still and they're an even worse defensive pairing than Lillard and McCollum were <laughs> and eh. and also Simon said his best work on the ball Lillard does his best work on the ball how are you gonna make that work so whatever okay so we're gonna move on to some listener submitted questions uh the first one we have what do you think a fair contract would be for Marvin Bagley Ooh. okay
1: so I know people really like Bagley, and like we just we just sang his praises and what he did for this offense. But like Mike mentioned, you know, it's not that hard to replace uh, athleticism in the NBA, especially for what Bagley does. No, at he's a, kind of a tweener for
0: five.
1: Yeah, at center, it really isn't. Right. And yeah. so, with that in mind, like with Bagley's defense in mind, I don't actually think that he's super valuable if you can bring in somebody who has like the same skill set. Uh, I would feel comfortable offering him like between six and seven for two to three years. Um, I don't think you want to give him like a ton of money. I've seen some pretty high numbers up there, Uh, but like this is the first time that the Pistons have had a decent amount of cap space in a while. And you don't want to just throw throw that away on a player like Bagley. So well, unless he's like a starting caliber guy, like you're confident that he's going to be really, really good. Like a core piece. I don't think that you should throw a ton of money at him.
0: Yeah, I, I disagree that you can easily replace athleticism. Well, unless it's bad players, but I certainly agree at center. I mean, finding a, a decent traditional big who can just be a strong role man, catch lobs, finish strong in the interior, and play decent defense, ideally protect the, the rim well. Those guys aren't terribly expensive or difficult to find because the fact that they can't shoot really drives their price down. So uh, I would say two things about Bagley. Uh, number one, he's a full out player. We've been over this. I mean, the guy is still a net negative player uh, because he can't shoot, and he's a bad defender. So he's got to make progress on those ends. I think that the Pistons would like to get him locked up to... The, like the highest I would go is like $8 million, uh, per season for a two-plus player option. It gives you two years to see what you get. And then if he's good, you have the third season at a really great price. So, uh, But Bagley, will Bagley want a one-plus-one to bet on himself I think that's a possibility in that case I think you're still looking at around the same number I don't think cap space this summer really matters all that much unless the Pistons you know throw a a big offer at Bridges and he gets lowballed by the Hornets and ends up with the Pistons but I don't think that's likely I think that would be a very exceedingly poor move by the Hornets so
1: it's worth mentioning just that he spoke very highly of his time with the Pistons post-trade he definitely seems to like it here maybe that's a factor you know maybe the the organization's like, yeah, we can offer you this type of role. I mean, you know what you're going to get here. You know uh, what uh, what our team and our organization is about. Maybe that's appealing to him. I don't know uh, if that's a factor for him. I mean, maybe it's not a factor for his agents who are just trying to get a cut. But yeah, I mean, as far as betting on yourself, this is a good place to do it. There's not a ton of talent here to take over for you, and you're definitely, you know, you're going to get your minutes if you're throwing down lobs for Cade. So. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think this is an appealing spot for Bagley.
0: It is definitely, and he said that this is the most fun he's had in the NBA. Of course, the, the rest of his time in the NBA with this was with Sacramento and the worst, probably the worst situation you can possibly be in in the NBA. But yeah. one thing you think about with Bagley, if the Pistons draft Jabari Smith, if the Pistons draft Chet Holmgren, not even want to think about the Pistons drafting Paolo Banchero. I mean, <laughs> neither of us like him, and we'll talk about we'll, we'll, we're going to do a deep dive into him. Uh, as well as into Smith and Holmgren and I don't know, maybe Ivy before the draft, but yeah, if they draft the power forward and then you have Stewart on the team. um, Yeah. Especially if Grant stays, I mean, where do you find minutes for Bagley? That's a consideration, but uh, Troy seems to like him so much that I'm quite confident that he will stay and we'll get minutes next season. So yeah, I I would say 8 million is the highest I would go for Bagley. And yeah. not many teams have cap space. Those teams are almost certainly not going to, to throw a big offer at the likes of Marvin Bagley and teams that don't have space are very unlikely to use the, Who are trying to compete are very unlikely to use the mid-level exception on Bagley. Uh, okay. What should we do with Jeremy Grant? We went over that depends on the draft. It uh, depends on what offers they get. Okay. Uh, who was the biggest surprise for you? Biggest disappointment that isn't Killian, uh, that that was a, a reference to me. I was very hard on Killian early in the season because it really annoyed <laughs> me that he wouldn't drive into the paint and accept contact. Yeah, it's like struggle, whatever. Just do that. Everybody else is doing it. You got to do it. Uh just got to do it in general.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I'll, I wanna, I'll, I'll
0: take the lead on this one if you want. No, I'll, 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 well, yeah, why don't you? Because I got to yeah. give it some time. Well, because
1: I mean, I, I just have my biggest disappointment. I'm not even sure who the biggest surprise is, but biggest disappointment for me is definitely Frank Jackson. And, I definitely, and certainly part of it was this back injury that really seemed to to just hurt his shooting. But I had very high hopes for Frank Jackson. I think he can still be a fifth man on a very good team. Just a guy who's low usage, sneakily athletic. And last season there were like, there was that stretch where he was putting the three ball up really well on volume and a good percentage. And I was very intrigued by his potential, but this season it just hasn't worked out. I've seen people keen on the idea of moving on from him, getting him off the team. I am not even close to that yet. Uh, Give him time, let him see if he can get healthy and just get his stuff together. Because Frank Jackson, his archetype is very appealing to me. He's a low usage three point shooter with a very quick release. Like people have noticed that he can catch the ball high and put it up really quickly. I think that's incredibly valuable on a team like the Pistons. You know, we've said it a million times. We need guys who can finish uh, the plays that Cade creates. And if you're a three point shooter and an athlete you are one of those guys. So Frank Jackson, I'm disappointed that he didn't get to establish himself as a good player this season, but I'm still high on him. And uh definitely the biggest disappointment in my opinion
0: was the the biggest surprise for you Diallo cuz I I know that uh, you know in our personal discussions prior to him really getting time, you weren't high on him at all. Yeah, I was thinking I was trying to think of,
1: he was my benchmark. I was, I was trying to think if there was any anything that was a bigger surprise to me, but I would have to say that it probably was Diallo because you're right. I like I said I'm I have not been high on Diallo and I didn't think that any guy, like I said, I'm big on archetypes and you know, how guys fit with other guys. And to me, Hamadou, he's so athletic. He just bucks the mold where it's like, you need guys on the perimeter who are going to space, but uh, Hamadou certainly earned his minutes and he was an effective player, an impact player. And yeah, no, that was definitely a big surprise to me.
0: Yeah. So I would have two surprises. Uh, My biggest disappointment. uh, I had this in my head. I don't remember. Uh, Frank, I wasn't, Super hopeful for him. I, I hoped he would work out, but last season was his first as a good three point shooter, good motion, three point shooter. And you just never know if that's going to be a flash in the pan, especially because he primarily just picked it up near the end of the season. Well, middle to end, he really struggled early on. So I would say my biggest surprise is Sadiq. Uh, again, I didn't think that he would do quite that well this season after his first unfortunate as 26 games, actually, uh, but yeah, middle of December, uh, all the way up to the second-to-last game because he barely played in the game against Philly. He also barely played in the game against Oklahoma City, uh, the season finale against Philly, rather. He was at about 18 points on you know pretty good efficiency and, and creating a decent amount of his offense. Uh, second one, to a much, much lesser extent, would be Isaiah Livers. Didn't expect him to come in and, and give really solid rotation minutes that early on. So those would be my two biggest surprises uh, biggest disappointment. Hmm. Uh, probably Isaiah Stewart. Yeah. Uh, because I thought uh, I was really big on him. At the end of last season, or during last season as just a guy who was like, he makes his teammates better. He's such a hard worker. And then this season he came in and there were the struggles shooting, but also it was just apparent. Like we said earlier in the episode that he's got certain flaws that come of being both undersized and a poor leaper that you can't really, they're insurmountable. I mean, not going to get taller. Uh, he's hugely unlikely to just gain another gear as a leaper. And yes, yeah, so, so he was disappointing for me. I think it, it was only took until mid season before I would reached the conclusion that he was probably better off the bench and okay. Favorite moment for the season. Uh, I would say, you know, there were some great kid games like that explosion against, uh, against Brooklyn, but probably my high moment in terms of joy for the season was when the Pistons beat the Spurs with the guard, the only, Roster. uh, The only members of the main roster were on the team uh, because everybody else was sick. Were Garza, Diallo, and Bay, and that was such a feel good win. Like I came away from that (laughs) feeling like the Pistons had won a playoff game.
1: That's a good one. Yeah, Um, I think my favorite moment of the season was K dropping the thirty four eight and eight. You know, because one, it was just such a crazy stat line, and everybody, it was such a big deal that the only guy was whoever knocked that down was uh, Jordan. So, yeah, no, that's probably my favorite one. Um, and then uh, I'll, I'll shout it out one more time. Winning the lottery, if you can count that as part of the season. That <laughs> no. was just such an – I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it, man. Like, I just want to mention that one more time. What a phenomenal moment that, that was. That was a great and moment. How great Cade – Cade has absolutely lived up to what he was billed to be. If anything, he's exceeded my expectations. I mean, the three ball has been streaky, but just the, the floor general that he is, like, I'll say it again, man. Things went really well this season, considering how many games we lost. Like overall, this was a good season of Pistons basketball. Like we're building something. It feels different. And um, I, I certainly appreciate that after some of the the weird short sighted rosters that we've had oh, to suffer goodness. through over the past <laughs> yeah decade and it's not whatever. But yeah, yeah that,
0: that feels but, like just that feels like just a almost like a distant bad memory at this point, even though yeah, it wasn't too this long. This is long. a breath of
1: fresh air compared to that,
0: <laughs> not to say the least. I, all right. I mean, I, I think that s- severely understates it. Yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, what are some things Johnny Kane can go into the offseason to improve his commentary game? It's possible that Blaha, if he doesn't, if his recovery is slow, will not travel to far away away games. So you might have Johnny Kane doing primary commentary or play by play, rather, at certain points next season. I enjoyed Kane. I really like his hype. I loved hearing him, hearing him shout Hamadou. That was cool. Uh, so I would say for him, uh, just do some research before the games uh, come up with some cool talking points. <laughs> you know, he, he clearly is is very passionate and I think having a, a somewhat more knowledgeable bench to his commentary would be helpful for him.
1: Yeah. Johnny Kane, probably the most improved player. Like I, I wasn't a fan <laughs> of him. I wasn't, I wasn't huge on his commentary like two years ago, but he definitely grew on me this season. I agree. His energy is fun. But when he, I love it when he screams lob, like his energy there, immaculate. But yeah, no, it'd be it'd be cool if he if he did his 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 little research and came up with his nicknames. I remember there was I think I want to say it was Iron Eagle. Uh, Desmond Bain had hit a shot and he said something like "The fire rises," and I just thought that was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. But yeah, no, Johnny Kane, what a guy! I, I like him. I think he uh, I think everybody kind of knows at this point that he's probably going to pick it up when Blaha puts the mic down. But uh, I think we're in good hands. Yeah.
0: All right, any closing thoughts, social media? Yeah, no, if you made it this far, thank you
1: so much for listening to us. Um, stick around with us through the off season. We do all sorts of stuff, like especially draft content. People really seem to like our single prospect uh, reviews and you know we don't stop. So if you made it this far, thank you again so much. Uh, if you're on Spotify, please consider giving us a rating. If you're on Apple, uh, rating and review. And then uh, if you want to interact with us, we love hearing from you guys and interacting with you. Uh, we're on Twitter at to the basket pod. That's T O the basket pod. And once again, thank you so much for listening.
0: Oh, T O the basket pod. What did I say? <laughs> uh, you said T O basket pod. T
1: O, oh my God. Yeah. T yeah. O no. the basket pod. Yeah. Driving yes.
0: to basket. Yeah. Driving to basket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's not it. No, that's not it. Uh, all right, folks. So we'll catch you in the next episode.